That's a cute video, right? You guys like that? I've made some promises like that. I made a lot of promises like that. I promise I won't talk here too long today, okay? And I promise not speak too quickly. My name is Chris Boyer. My wife and I lead the college ministry here at the Lighthouse Church of Christ. And uh, I recently went to an event called the ICMC. And ICMC is an international campus ministry conference that was held uh, in St. Louis for a few days here in July. And 3,000 college students came together. And, and the worship was amazing. The music was awesome. Uh, the, spirit, the vibe that I got there was so encouraging. And I spent time with friends, m- people who were my mentors uh, 10 years ago. And so I just had such an incredible time there. I felt leaving there just so filled up with faith and so encouraged. And then I traveled down to El Salvador where we went on family vacation, but I spent a lot of good time with uh, some brothers and sisters from the church there, uh, going to church and their midweek classes, uh, getting one-on-one time with some brothers that just, it just moved my heart. Uh, One of the brothers, his name is Manuel, and uh, getting together with him on the beach, uh, we we went down there to pray and I was like, we're gonna surf and I'm like, hey, before we surf, let's pray. And then he's like, boom, on his knees. And I was just so convicted and hearing his story and, and the difficulty that they're going through in that country. It's just, it's convicting. And when I come back here, I'm filled with gratitude. I'm filled with passion. I'm filled, I'm just convicted in my heart. And uh, so I'm very honored to have the opportunity to speak to you today. Thank you for being here this morning. And I, again, I promise I will not speak too quickly or go too long. And so let's recap the last couple of weeks. If you moved it, we're in a series called Promises. And in part one, we said that we move in the direction of the promise we choose to believe. And your story, whether you like it or not, this is true, that we move in the direction of the promises we choose to believe. Some of those are negative promises and some of those are positive promises. Some of those uh, have, have been broken and some of those have been kept. But regardless, those promises that we have chosen to believe have led us to where we are today. They led you to the job you're in, the relationship you're in, the place where we are today. And some of those places are really good places that we're in. But ultimately, no matter where we're at today, we move in the direction of the promise we choose to believe. And in part two, last week, we talked about the promise that God made, that God is love. And this is the bottom line that we had from last week, is God cannot love us more or less because God loves regardless. So this is the bottom line from last week, and we talked about how God is perfect love, that he's not like orange soda, that he is like perfect orange. I love that illustration because I too love oranges. But I know that some of us left here encouraged thinking about the essence of God, that God loves me so much that I left feeling like, oh, God loves me. God loves me and encouraged me. But also some of us left here feeling a tension and a struggle. That we left here frustrated, if not potentially angry, because we thought about why did my mom cheat on my dad? Maybe you thought, why did my dad leave our family? And I want to say to you that that if you were struggling with any of those thoughts about something that someone did to you, some evil that was caused by another person, I want to tell you that is not from God. God gives people the opportunity to make the decision that they want to make. And God did allow them to make that decision. And that doesn't answer the problem of human suffering because we do go through sin, we, we do suffer outside of man's sin. And there's a problem of pain and suffering that we go through here in this life. And, and we left here thinking, if 
God is a loving God, then why are these circumstances happening? We left here asking the question, why didn't God, you fill in the blank? Why didn't God come and rescue me? Why did God allow me to lose my job? Why did God allow? Why did God not fill in the blank? Whatever it was for you, something may have happened in your love. If God is love, where is God in the circumstances of my life? But you know, I want to tell you that some of us, some of us, not all of us, but I, I believe that many, maybe if you're a guest in here today, you came to church for this very reason, that you're going through a life circumstance today in your life, an overwhelmingly difficult life circumstance, and you've tried everything else. You've hit rock bottom, and you decided to come to church because you didn't know what else to do. You thought, you know, I'm going to give God a try. I'm going to try, see what God has to say about this. See, see if this whole church thing works out. And I know that many of us decided to try God only after hitting immense difficulties in our life because we thought we've tried everything else and it's just not working. So that our life circumstances have actually led us into the place that we are and our life circumstances have pushed us toward, towards God in cases even if it was man's sin that led us to be pushed towards God. But you know, I wanna tell you something else is that the church makes promises. Okay, there's, there's promises that we believe that the church has told us, and some of them are true, and some of them are not true. But there's one promise that's like this testimony that we hear. We heard an awesome testimony today, and I love testimonies. Testimonies have a place, they have a power. You know, it, it's, it's like I encourage more testimonies to be shared. I'm actually creating a group environment in our college ministry that I want more testimonies of our college students to be able to be brought forward because I really believe that they're powerful. But maybe the church promised or you heard a testimony that went something like this. I used to be a mess. My life was a disaster. Everything was bad. I got baptized and now everything's awesome. My life is awesome. God is awesome. Nothing goes wrong. I get straight A's. I'm healthy, happy, and prosperous. We hear a lot of those, right? We hear it. And, and I just want to say that oftentimes the testimony we're giving, getting is just a little snippet of their life where God answered a prayer. It's not every, they're not sharing about every hardship they ever went through. And oftentimes testimonies from, from hardships are very powerful as well. But some of us came into church thinking there's this promise of a bailout. Like there's a bailout promise. Like, hey, if I follow Jesus, he's gonna change every life circumstance and make it awesome. That he's gonna change my career situation. He's gonna change my re relationship status. He's gonna help me in my health. And you know, who wouldn't wanna follow that? Who, who wouldn't want that Jesus bailout? You know, you want that, I want that, that sounds good to me. If that were true here today, then everybody in this room would be prosperous, we'd have a ton of money, and we wouldn't be able to build church buildings fast enough to keep people in them. Because if that were true, we would just be the most, you know, we'd have the most money, the most healthy people. But most of us chose to follow Jesus, and we actually suffered a loss. We heard the promise of this bailout. We heard the promise that everything was gonna be awesome. My relationships, my career, it was gonna be awesome. But most of us, when we chose to follow Jesus, we had to make some sacrifices. You may have been in a dating relationship or engaged, and you studied the Bible, you decided you wanna to move towards God, you wanna to do it the right way, you wanna follow Jesus, you cut off a dating relationship. 
the relationship that you thought this was your soulmate, you thought this was the person that you're gonna live with the rest of your life and get old with, that you love them and you decided to cut off a relationship. How painful is that to lose a relationship? And now you're alone. Some of us were living a party lifestyle or we were surrounded by people who were not glorifying God. And we decided when we studied the Bible that we were gonna cut off some relationships. We were gonna discontinue the circle of people that we were running with, right? And now you went from having a group of friends and a place to fit in to now, guys, I can't hang out, you know. I don't feel good hanging out with you guys because I'm trying to, to move towards God. I'm trying to follow Jesus. So we lost our friends, we lost relationships. Most of us, some of us, confess sin. And when you confess your sin, you had some hidden sin. And you're married. And you had to confess something. And it hurt your relationship with your wife. Perhaps it was irreparable. It was difficult to reconcile after that. Maybe it was relationships you had with other family members. But you had to confess something. You had to come out with something. And maybe that confession even caused you to lose your job. You, you chose to move towards God, and so you started operating in a way in your career that you had to operate at a higher level of integrity to move towards God. And when you chose to do that, you went from the top selling person in your company, and you started notching down on the ladder till you were struggling just to keep your job. Because you're not operating under the same standards and principles that you were before you started following Jesus. Maybe you even lost your job because of that. But you, let's say you move towards God, and some of you in here, move towards him during a difficult life circumstances in your health or your family's health. You prayed to God. You prayed the prayer. You followed Jesus, but the cancer, it didn't change. The cancer grew instead of going away. And um, I'm very grateful for my parents. And uh, they're here in the room today. And I'm very grateful and honored that they would come to hear me speak. And... Uh, you know, my mom, um, she uh, was diagnosed in about 2009 with uh, something called Benson's disease. And uh, Benson's is atrophy of the brain from the back of your brain. And uh, that caused her to lose her eyesight. And that was the first symptom that we had to diagnose. And uh, in discovering that, it, it was sad because if your brain is dying, eventually you die. And so it was terminal. And, you know, there was no cure for it. And there was no cause that we know of. And then, um, you know, we prayed the prayer, and it, it's the big prayer. God, please make the, uh, make the brain atrophy stop. Take away the problem. Change this circumstance. But it continued to progress. And uh, one day, a few years ago, a number of years into the disease, um, she went and to the Mayo Clinic, and the Mayo Clinic said, hey, we have great news for you. It's, it's really amazing, you know? It's unexplainable. The brain atrophy has ceased. The brain atrophy has stopped. It's, it's not continuing out. Her brain's not gonna get better. She is what she is. It will not continue to progress. She went back in six months later. And uh, six months later for a, a secondary checkup to see if it had progressed anymore. And in fact, the, the rear of the brain had not atrophied anymore, but instead uh, her frontal lobe began to, um, to atrophy which is known as Alzheimer's disease. And so Alzheimer's now began. So she had brain atrophy now from the back that had already done damage, and now she has brain atrophy from the front. So she went from bad to worse, to a more complicated situation. And um, if any of you in here today have, have suffered with family members uh, or had to go through this process of grieving and, and 
and being a family member with someone with Alzheimer's, um, I'm very blessed to have my parents in the room here today, and I, di I didn't really want to share that. So I'm really grateful to share that with you, not because it's all okay, not because it's going to get better, but because of the secret that I believe that we're going to be able to find in the scriptures here today. See, what we did when we, when we went to God with that big prayer, when we came, became Christians during a life circumstance that was difficult, we moved in the direction of a promise that was not there. We moved in the direction of this promise that Jesus had a bailout, that he was going to give you happiness, health, and prosperity forever, that you were going to become immortal here on earth. And that's the promise, that's, that's that false promise that we have moved towards. So church promises some things, but this is what Jesus really promised. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. You guys can't read that on any of my screens. Okay. Awesome. Okay. In this world, you'll have trouble with technology. Um, Jesus, pro this is the promise that Jesus had. He did not have a promise that you were going to be okay here on earth, that everything was going to work out the way you think it should. But he said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. I can imagine Peter, his closest follower, coming up to him and saying, Jesus, I know you just came down off the mountainside, you're all spiritual, but listen, I think you're a little disconnected from what people really want to hear. Can we talk more about heaven, good stuff, life, prosperity? How about a bailout? Let's talk about a bailout, Jesus. You know, Jesus predicted it. This is reality, that we're going to see hard times. And if you're young in here today, my wife and I lead college ministry and, and we've led teens and junior high ministry. You know, and some junior high and teens have gone through really difficult times in their life. But the longer we live, the more trouble we're really gonna see. The, the longer we live, the more friends we're gonna see die. And so if you haven't or I haven't seen our toughest times yet, they're yet to come. That there are difficult times that are ways. And Jesus predicted us. And when one season of difficulty passes, another season of difficulty is awaiting in a totally new in different way for us. And then what happens, and this is where the secret comes in, is we see someone in our lives who's going through life circumstances that are incomprehensible, that we see people going through, you, you know someone, you meet someone that's going through a devastating loss, that they're in a situation that is more difficult than anything you have ever personally experienced, and yet this person is happy, this person is faithful, this person is trusting God, even though their life circumstances are not good. They're not desirable. And these people, this person that you know, or these people, some of them are sitting here in the room today. And it may, somehow, they manage to, to keep their faith. And I think to myself, or you think to yourself, I don't know if I was in their shoes, I would be so faithful. I don't know if I was in their shoes, I would seem so happy. I don't know if I was in their shoes, if I'd have the same peace that they're experiencing. And it may encourage some of us in here today. It may confuse you if you're not a Christian. But either way, it intrigues us. It attracts us and we lean in and we wanna know more. And see, Jesus knew, Jesus knew when he said this, we're gonna go through trouble. He predicted it. But he knew that great faith was necessary for us to overcome and pass through life to get through life, we're gonna need great faith. To get through these difficult circumstances with peace and faith in God, that we would need great faith. And I believe that those people who, that we know who 
they're leaning into a promise of Jesus that we're going to look here today. That those people that you know that are going through a difficult life circumstance, and yet they're trusting, their faith is even growing, and their situation's not changing, those people have leaned into a secret that Jesus has to share with us. What we're going to look at today happened just after the Last Supper. And if you're not a Bible reader or you don't go to church often, the Last Supper is the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples before he goes and is crucified, before he goes on trial and dies. So before Jesus dies, he has a meal. And we're going to look at John 13 through John 16. We're not going to read all of it, but I'm going to jump into John 14 and we're going to go into John 16. And I'm going to show you, we're going to lean into today a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples before the most difficult life circumstance that Jesus is going to face and that his followers are going to face. He says to them, you're about to suffer. You're about to have a hard time. And not only that, are you going to have the hardest time you've ever had before? I'm leaving you. I'm not going to be with you anymore. And his disciples are like, what? Dude, you are the man. I don't want you to leave. So let's look at what he says as we turn back to John chapter 14 and verse 16 and 17. He says there, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. And so he says, I'm going away. You're gonna see really hard times, but don't worry because I'm sending an advocate to be with you. Okay, this is a new idea. This is not something that they're like, oh yeah, you're gonna send the advocate. I know, yeah, the advocate, got that. I'm with you. I, you know, we've talked about this. No, they, this is a new idea. This is something that they've never had before. The spirit, and this was some condolence Jesus was trying to offer. And then verse 17, he says, the world cannot accept him, the spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus says, the spirit, it's like me, okay? The spirit and me, we're the same. The spirit has the same power and authority that I have, and he's gonna be a gift, and this gift is going to be in you. This spirit will be in you. And then he says, going on after that, okay? So we're skipping ahead a little bit into chapter 16 in verse four. So Jesus, after he says that I'm gonna be giving you the spirit, he talks about how there are people that are going to kill you and they're gonna think that they're worshiping God by murdering you. That's how he starts off chapter 16. He says, I've told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. So Jesus is even predicting and warning them, you are gonna see difficult circumstances People are going to kill you. And he has this condolence that the the spirit is going to be in us. And then in verse four, he goes on and says, I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Jesus had information that he did not share. He had information that he withheld. You know, I don't know about you, but when you're getting instructions and you're in a large group, I'm always like, does this apply to me? Is this information that I need to know right now? And I'm like, I turn off, you know, my brain when, and I start focusing on other things when I don't need to listen. Turn them all on right now, okay, guys? You're on a need-to-know basis, but right now you need to know what I'm sharing with you today. They were on a need-to-know basis. Jesus was going to be going away. The Spirit was going to be with them. They were going to be killed. 
But he says, but now I am going to him who sent me. He says, I'm leaving you guys. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. You know, his disciples weren't worried about where Jesus was going. No one asks, hey, Jesus, are you gonna be okay? Is everything all right, Jesus? No, they weren't worried about Jesus and where he was going. They were like, what about me? What about my circumstances? What about the guys you said are gonna kill me? What about my situation? Jesus said, You're gonna, you are going to suffer. And they said, where are you? Jesus, what's up with that? I need you to be with me. Because you know what? I need you to be with me when I'm going through a tough time. In verse seven, he says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. He said, it's for your good that I'm going away. And, and in their situation hearing this, I, I definitely, I'm like, wait, what? Me, what about my situation? You're going away and you're saying this is for my good that you're going away? You know, maybe another translation of this would have said, it's gooder for me to go away for you. Or it's more better that I go away. Now, no one would translate it that way, but he's saying it's better that I'm gone and it's for your sake. And as a disciple sitting there hearing that, I think I would be saying to myself, no, how can it ever be better without you? I've seen your miracles, I've seen your power. You have a direct connection to God. You know how to answer everyone. And I feel safe, I feel confident when I'm around. How can it ever be better if you're telling me that I'm gonna go through a hard situation? How can it ever be better without you? The disciples are like, huh, what? You're the one we trust, you're the one we're following. He goes on to say, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, Jesus knew that the Spirit had all power and all authority. Now, if the Spirit has all power and authority and it's gonna be in you, okay? Jesus, how many places was he at once? One place at one time. Jesus took up a place in this universe at a certain point in history. He had a place, he, he was there, but he's gonna go away. So now every one of us can have in us the spirit which contains the power and the authority that Jesus has. That's why it's better for you, that the spirit was going to be unlimited. In verse 12 and 13, he says, I have much more to say about this, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You know, the Spirit is gonna help you understand. You know, at, when you go through those hard circumstances, the Spirit is gonna help you understand the circumstances. He's gonna help you. It's not gonna take away the circumstances. He will help you to understand what you need to do and what you need to say. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. And so Jesus now is like speaking in code. He's like, I'm gonna go away, I'm gonna come back, I'm gonna go away again. And then, you know, he's, he's going off about what's gonna happen in the future, and I'm sure it was going over the disciples' head. But the bottom line is this, I'm leaving. The bottom line is this, the Spirit's coming, and it's good for you that the Spirit is coming. And here's the thing that I want you to know, because you have the Spirit, here's the one thing that you need to know, the one line that I want everyone in here to remember today, is that, 
I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. This is, this is the promise, that in me, you may have peace. No matter what life circumstances you come across, you may have peace. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus says, in your current life circumstances, he says, I've overcome the world. I'm sure that this was as hard to hear then as it is now. That these disciples, when they heard this and they were gonna suffer, they were gonna die, not only that, they got to watch Jesus die on the cross. But then he resurrected, he rose again. And God, the author of our salvation, who is perfect in love, raised Jesus from the dead, the most difficult life circumstance to overcome. There is no more difficult life circumstance than death. And Jesus conquered death. And if Jesus conquered death, he can conquer your life circumstance. Jesus says, whatever in here today, Lighthouse Church of Christ, we're here right now, whatever your life circumstances are today, he said, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace, that you can find peace in Jesus Christ no matter what your circumstances look like. So here's the bottom line and the thing I want you to know. Peace comes not from resolving the problems of the present, but by trusting in the promise of his presence. Peace comes not by resolving your problems in your present situation or your future situations, but by trusting in the promise of his presence in your life. We wonder why wouldn't God heal them and change this circumstance? Some of those circumstances led us into the faith that we have. Some of our most difficult circumstances offer an opportunity for God's glory to be shown. In the most difficult life circumstances, it's an opportunity for us to demonstrate our trust, our faith, and our perseverance in God. There is a reason. You know, in this promise that God has for us, it's not a Jedi mind trick. It's not like, what blue pill did they take to make these people who are trusting in him feel that way? It's not a lucky rabbit's foot. It's not some coping mechanism like the power of positive thinking. It's not being delusional. It's not thinking that our situation's gonna change, but it's trusting in the promise of his presence that we're able to find peace. And I just wanna give you an example of, of some people that I, I highly respect. The people who I look at and I go, I don't know if I was in their situation, if I would have reacted the same way. And one of those is, is a couple who serves in our campus ministry and they serve as shepherds. Their name is Dan and Susan Strobel. And I feel like their situation is so much harder than my situation. But the way that they've responded in their situation is with faith. They open up their home. They serve in the campus ministry. They give and they're filled with peace. And I respect and admire their response to their circumstances with their son. Another circumstance was recently when I was in El Salvador, I had the opportunity of spending time with my friend, Leo Landaverde. Leo Landaverde was a disciple in, the, in one of the regions called Turning Point here in Los Angeles of our church. 
and he owned a multi-million dollar company. But his work visa ran out and he, he had to, in order to operate with integrity, move back to El Salvador, where he tried to continue to run his company and it did not go so well. So financially, it didn't go well. He suffered difficult circumstances. His wife, his kids, they didn't speak Spanish and they were down there just trying to make it the last three years. And when I got together with him the other day, one of the most encouraging things he said to me during our breakfast that we had together before church is he said that there, the creator of the universe listens to my prayers. Despite immense difficulty and circumstances, losing, falling from the height which he fell, he was so faithful and he had to really persevere through some difficult times, difficult circumstances. And I thought, I think to myself, wow, that is inspiring, that is encouraging. And I walked away with so many takeaways from what he had to say. You know, this is what in 1 Chronicles 16, in verse 15, it says about God's promises. It says, he will keep his covenant forever. He will keep his promise for all time to come. He will keep the covenant he made with Abraham. He will keep the oath he took when he made his promise to Isaac. You know, God is the great promise keeper. And it says, he will keep his promise for all time, all time. That's right now, that's in your life. That the promises of God are faithful. They're trustworthy. You could stand on them and they're good now and they're gonna be good tomorrow. That when we hear the promise of his presence in our life, that we can trust God's promises because he is the great promise keeper. God, our great promise keeper. If you're a guest in here today and you're just getting introduced to this, this is something that as Christians, we need to continue to build our faith in God's promises and build our faith that he is the great promise keeper. So when we got baptized, we got a ring. We didn't really get a ring, but this is like, when we got baptized, it was like, it was like God got engaged to us. God got engaged to marry us. And I know for guys that's super weird and like awkward, <clears throat> but just stay with me. When we got baptized, we got saved, but we're not in heaven yet. We're not there yet. It's like God came to our little village and God came into our little tiny agrarian village in the middle of nowhere with no communication with the outside world. And he came into this little agrarian village and he said, look, I wanna marry you. Here's a ring. I want you to keep it. When my house, when my father's house is ready, I'm gonna come back and get you. And we're gonna get married that day. When we got baptized, it's a promise of salvation. And God will keep his promise. He is the great promise keeper. And he always keeps his promise. When we got engaged, I'm banking and I'm hoping and I pray and I ask God that he will save me and he will, I call on God's promises in prayer. Now, if you're guessing here today and that's new information to you, okay, what I'm saying right now and where I'm directing this content, if you took just what we have so far, I believe that you're gonna live your life with greater peace, but you gotta learn and you gotta find out what are the promises of God. God is complete love, and these are his promises. But when we got engaged, what promises did I make to God? What promises did I make when we got engaged? Did I promise to be faithful to him? Did I promise when I was baptized to follow him? And this is to the members. He loves 
regardless. And if you're a guest in here today, that was what we learned last week, part two. He loves regardless. He is perfect love. Now, if I learned last week in the orange that God is the perfect example of love and he is so loving and you left here like, amen, God is gonna love me no matter who I am, where I've come from, that I am not the cumulative total of my sin and he doesn't see me that way. He sees me as perfect and it's amazing. I love that. God loves us regardless. It should not equate to our disregard for him. Just because God loves you and God is the great promise keeper, that doesn't give us the authority to disregard him. Just because God loves us perfectly doesn't mean that I love him perfectly. And the more God loves us doesn't, shouldn't lead us to love him less, but instead it should lead us to love him more, to following up on our promises more because we know he keeps his promises. I need to keep my promises with him. When I was baptized, what did it mean to me to follow Jesus? Am I following the promises that I have made? Am I following Jesus? You know, and, and I just wanna share again for the guests who are in here today, the reason that I'm saying this is because I have conversations with shepherds in this ministry. I have conversations with elders, other staff members who are frustrated. And there are people in this room and people who are not in this room today that have frustrated because people have gone back on their promises and it hurts. It's like breaking off an engagement. It's like being unfaithful in the middle of an engagement that people have walked away. And this is not a new thing. This is not just here in this church. This is the story of God and people. This is a story of God and mankind. And for the sake of time, we're not gonna go through the book of Hosea. But what we see in this illustration of Hosea is God wanted a man, a prophet, to marry a prostitute as an illustration. That's a tough illustration point, okay? We used the soda last week. That's like a lot easier illustration than marrying a prostitute. God had a man marry a prostitute. And this woman was going to be unfaithful to him throughout their marriage. But Hosea was told to give his heart, to have a forehead of flint and a heart of compassion. And he was to marry this prostitute and she would go and be unfaithful to him. And this is what happens. And it's not just in the Old Testament. We look to the very end, the very last letter of the Bible, to the book of Revelation. And as we look there, we find an angel communicating a message to a church. And we're gonna lean into that because just because God loves regardless and he is the great promise keeper, we can translate that into being there is no hell, that God has erased hell. Or that God is a great promise keeper and there is nothing on my end of things that I have to do to live out my life following him. That's what we can equate this to. His love is regardless, does not erase hell. And it does not e equate to our disregarding our promises or disregarding what he has asked us to do. So this is what is said, the angel of the church, the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these things are the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now, before we go on, I wanna tell you, I don't normally develop any theology based out of revelation. It's like cryptic, and written in code. It's so hard to understand. 
Okay, so don't go start reading the book of Revelation because you want to get to know the Bible better. Okay, because it's like super hard to understand. But this is like a clear message to a church that he says something very clear. This is from God to a church. Here's what he says. I know your deeds. I know you. I know your deeds. I know your church's deeds. That you're neither hot, you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. You know, he says, you're not hot Christians. You're not on fire. You're not sold out. You're not committed, whatever you want to call it. But he says you're somewhere in the middle, that you're a hypocrite, that you're sort of Christian, that you're sort of following, that you're an attender of church. And I have to tell you that in my efforts to lead people's hearts closer to God, there are many people I say, well, they're an attender of church. They come occasionally. I don't know their deeds. I don't know if they're hot for God. And so this is not just a letter that was written in this ancient document thousands of years ago. This is something that applies even to our church here today, that we need to recognize that it's not okay to be, be lukewarm. Now, if I was writing this, I would have said, I wish you were either hot or hot. I would have just said hot. I want you to be hot. I want you to be on fire. I don't know why he said hot or cold, but there's this middle ground that he does not want us to be in for sure. You can't be sort of Christian. You have to be a Christian or not. There's no third ground. You're either following Jesus or not. You're either a king who surrendered or you haven't surrendered. He goes on to say, so because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about you to spit you out of my mouth. What did that mean? Even in the New Testament, what did that mean? That hell exists. God is perfect love. He is the great promise keeper, but hell still exists. To the guests here today, I would like to say, thank you so much for being here. And I hope that you're encouraged how God loves you. And maybe it even encourages you, if you're not a Bible believer, to hear how even in church we recognize there are people not living out the calling. Because when I studied the Bible for the first time in 1999, when I studied the Bible, the thing that stood out to me when I read the Bible was I had heard of Jesus, I knew songs about Jesus that I could play on the guitar, but I had never followed him. And that was the thing that really differentiated my Christianity growing up and the Christianity that I was called into. The Christianity I was called into was, you're gonna follow, you need to follow Jesus to be a follower. And if you ask any parent who's in the room here today, if they love their kid in the middle of the circumstances that they have to discipline them. We administer discipline on a daily basis as parents. It doesn't mean that we don't love our kids, even if they feel at times like we don't love them. God was not erasing hell because he is the great promise keeper. The only way to reciprocate the love of the great promise keeper is to keep your promise. And so if you're a guest in here today and you hear that, you're like, well, that's why I haven't made any promises. You're like, no promises. I wanna challenge you to get into a Bible study. We have something called a spiritual fitness test for all the rest of our members who are in here today that I wanna ask you if you've done that today. You could take the initiative and find someone, your mentor, your small group, 
Come to the church staff, one of the elders or shepherds. We wanna help you do the spiritual fitness test. And it's designed as a gauge to evaluate where you're at spiritually. If you're guesting here today, maybe we could start there. We'll do a spiritual fitness test with you. Maybe that'll lead you into a Bible studies, a Bible study. But we have some incredible examples of people who are already living it here today, like the Strobels, like my friend from El Salvador, the Land of Verdes. But there are many others, even in our campus ministry, who are living out, they're trusting in the promises despite difficult circumstances. So the, prob- the problems of the present, they're not going away. You're still, the cancer, it may not go away. The financial, the relational situation that you're experiencing, the frustrations you experience in this life, they are not going away. But we have a choice. We can focus on the problems of the present. We could become overwhelmed, embittered. We could be unhappy and fall away, walk away from God. Or we can trust in the promise of his presence. Neither one is going away. The problems of the present are not going away. And the promise of his present is not going away. I have a question for you today. What would you do if you were absolutely confident that God was with you and that his promises were good? What would you live your life like if you were absolutely confident that God's promises are good? How would you live your life? Well, I'll tell you, amidst your circumstances, the most difficult ones you may experience, you would find peace. If you're absolutely confident that God is with you, no matter how hard it got, you'd be able to find peace. We all move in the direction of the promises we believe. And you owe it to yourself here today to discover the promises that God has for you, to discover that he is the author, the creator, that he is perfect love, and he has a spirit that he has promised you. So I wanna call on God's promises here today. Let's go ahead and say a prayer and close. Father in heaven, I, I wanna pray to you right now and ask you that you can help us in our situation. Father, to be able to find peace, to be able to keep our promises to you. Father, we wanna thank you for this, this secret that we find in scripture. That Father, that you've promised to be with us and that we could find peace through your presence, no matter what happens, not even death. Father, thank you for overcoming the world. And I pray that as we leave here today, that we are just confident and set that you are the great promise keeper. I pray that some in here today will choose to study the Bible for the first time. Some in here today will choose to come back to church. Some in here today will choose to commit themselves to the promises they've made to you. Father, thank you. I pray, Father, that we leave here with clarity and understanding about your great love that you have for each one of us. In Jesus' name. You guys can all stand up for one.